One of the things my family and I love to do as our guilty pleasure is to watch The Amazing Race. We've been through 19 seasons of it, observing all the different locations they go to, all the cool things. By the time you've watched that many seasons, you get to a point where you're pretty sure you understand the game. And always there's some classic blunders as the couch quarterback in a sense i will tell you man never take off from your location until you know exactly where you're going on a map or you got directions where you stop at a hotel or you do something like that never ever just take the flight given to you always look for the better flight you know always have a compass available so you're going in the general direction so you know you're not getting too lost and too far out of the way all these are good ideas when you're traveling on the amazing race now it always also makes me think about my spiritual life all together, we have a lot of journeying to do while we're on this earth. We're wanting to enter into the kingdom of God. We want to love Christ, we want to live for Christ, we want to share Christ. And there's all kinds of directions and things that we can get from being in the word of God to caring for people. But there is one key truth that is true, whether you're doing the amazing race or whether you're trying to travel across the country or you're going to use an app and find a map. And that is simply this. Look, if you don't know where you are, you don't know where you're going. You can't find a direction. You can't get to where you're supposed to go if you don't understand the place you're at. I mean, there's no point in looking at a map without the you are here arrow on the map. And here's the problem. Many of us are having a spiritual journey where we're not quite sure where we are. We may think we do, but we're wrong. I, I give you an example. Jesus encountered a young man who was in this very scenario. He was rich, he was wealthy, and he wanted to go somewhere. In fact, we meet him in Luke chapter 18, and a verse beginning in verse 18 and following. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab it there. We're going to jump all over the place. So, But this is a great place to kind of stay and look and, and linger and think about what Jesus is saying here. But we're going to go all over. I'll have this, the uh, scriptures on the screen for you. But ensure yourself, get into Luke chapter 18 right here. And Paul, or sorry, Luke is uh, writing, Dr. Luke is telling us about what Jesus is teaching. And he gets to the situation where a ruler comes up. Now we know in Matthew he's young, so we call him the rich young ruler. But it says this, and a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Notice his destination question there. How do I get into the kingdom of God? How do I have eternal life? How do I make sure when I'm dead, it's all going to go good for me? And Jesus kind of turns the corner on him. He says, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. Let's really zero in here, buddy, on your use of terms. You know the commandments, he tells him. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. So he points these things out. He doesn't say, this is what you got to do to have eternal life. He just says, why are you calling me good? You know only God is good. Look at these commandments. And then here's the response this young man says. He says, all these I've kept from my youth. Now people will go, well, Jesus didn't rebuke him. Well, yes, he does. He turned to him. Jesus heard this. In response, he said to him, one thing you still lack. And I think he's aiming at something. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. This verse has been used for all kinds of movements throughout church history for poverty and things like that. It's used currently to browbeat people with lots of money and giving their money away. That wasn't Jesus's point. What is interesting is when we look at this text, we realize that this man's asking a destination question. How do I get to eternal life? And Jesus kind of says, you already know that. you got to follow all the commandments. you got to be perfect. You know the route. Your problem is, Jesus points out, 
You don't know where you're at. You don't know where you are. You think you've upheld all these things. I've kept them all from my youth. But one thing you lack, you got to see where you're truly at before you know where you're going. And Jesus pinpoints it. He says, listen, your money's in the way. It's your blind spot. It's what you need to see right now. And that's our point to us. It's not that you and I need to give up our riches. We might. That might be the blind spot Jesus is pointing out to us that's got our hearts in front of God. And he's trying to show us and shake us up. But what blind spot is Jesus pointing out in your life? What blind spot does Jesus want to bring out? Because he wants to show you where you are right now. He wants to reveal you to yourself so that you can know where you're going. Because we, again, we don't know where we're going to go. We can't know how to get there if we don't know where we're at. We, we have to understand right where we're at right now. And the world will actually offer you all kinds of guidance on this. It'll offer you all kinds of information on finding yourself. That Type that into your Google search, your Bing search, whatever you're using, and you're going to discover lots of websites that are going to give you 11 steps to 15 different steps. That's the ones I found about how to find yourself. The vast majority of them never tell you to go to anything outside yourself. They say, look inside, examine who you are, check out your feelings. Do you agree with your parents and what their morals were? Where do you disagree? And don't ever doubt anything within your heart or what you're saying. Look inside first and then evaluate everything that's outside of you by what's inside. I'm going to tell you the Bible will tell you that is a fundamentally wrong-headed answer. It is actually kind of silly. Because the Bible, over and over, from the beginning to the end, and this may be a revelation to some of you who are new to the Bible, but from the start to the end, the Bible has one thought about what's inside of all of us. And it's summed up in the book of Jeremiah, a prophet who's shouting at Israel to wake up, see where they're at, discover what's going on in their country before God takes and removes them into exile. And in his yelling and in his preaching and in his trying to get their attention, he speaks this from the Lord. He says, The heart of human beings is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? This is a frightening passage. In light of the world's telling us to look inside to discover, the Bible tells us that you and I, we have one problem, and that is that we lie to ourselves. We deceive ourselves. That word in the Hebrew is really interesting. It means to have discovered the footprints of someone sneaking around by you, to see their heel prints in the ground. It means they're sneaking up. They're trying to get closer to you. They're, they're, they're trying to deceive you. They're trying to trick you. Your heart is sick. It's broken, and it's trying to trick you. Above all things, when we look inside, we don't get that our heart lies to ourselves. See, my heart doesn't lie to me. I don't lie. You know, it's interesting. There's a TED Talk by a woman named Pamela Meyer. She wrote a book called Lie Spotting. She lays out the scientific ways of examining people lying to you and the ways that you can find um, whether someone's telling you the truth. But what's interesting is when she talks about why we lie, she actually states this. Lying is the attempt to bridge the gap to connect our wishes and our fantasies to who we wish we were, to who we really are. There's this gap between who we are and who we wish we could be, and we draw it over. Because when we look at our heart, when we look at ourselves, there's something wrong. So we lie to ourselves. We deceive ourselves. We say we're better than that. We say we're not like our parents. We say we're not this way. We don't like that. We don't like this. Really, what's inside of me is the truth, and that's what needs to be accepted. This is a fascinating reality because Jesus tells us why we would deceive ourselves, why we would lie to ourselves, why we want to create a bridge of fantasy, of lies, 
that we give to other people and we give to ourselves because when we look at ourselves, what do we find? Jesus says it this way. And these are Jesus' words from the book of Mark. He says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. From, for from within, what's within inside of you, out of the heart of man, out of who we are, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. This is not a pretty picture, right? All these evil things, and they're all evil. We can't excuse any of them. They come from within, and they defile a person. They defile me and you. And Jesus says, if you're going to look inside, what you're going to discover is you're going to discover identities that, are, that tell you that it's okay for you to have the sexual desires that you have. It's okay to take the things that you want. It's okay to hate people who hate you, who, who are your enemy. It's okay to check out that other woman who's not your spouse, you're not your wife, or that other man who's not your husband. Or it's okay to get that divorce and break it up because she's hot and things aren't going well at home. It's okay to want, 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 want because the commercials tell me to. It's okay to have all kinds of division and bendedness in our hearts and want to break things up and and longing to, to have tactile feelings, all this stuff, to, to lie and envy and to pride. I mean, all this is cool, man. It's okay. It's inside of you. Notice how much of this is running rampant in our own lives because we've been taught to look in and to evaluate everything outside, and what we find inside is a whole host of evil things. That's a hard pill to swallow. But Jesus wants you to remember, it's not about your destination. The question is, how do I have eternal life? The question is, how do I have the kingdom of God? How do I go to heaven? How do I ensure that when I die, things will go well? How do I have a good life even now, right? As somewhat, some people are wondering. And Jesus says, all that is interesting and great, and I've given you the answer. You've got to obey the commandments of God and these kinds of things. But the real problem is, do you know who you are? It's no wonder... The journey of Christianity begins by understanding that within me is nothing good. I came to Christ not because I thought I was a great person and I wanted to become a pastor and tell everybody how to live. That's actually a repellent thought in my heart because if I, when I look inside of myself, this is what I see. I have lots of evil thoughts. I mean, I am a lustful, coveting, wicked, <laughs> deceitful person who wants to take hold of life and rule it on my own. I am a broken, disgusting, defiled person. And it was only when I came to realize that in my truest sense, in the depths of my own soul, that I realized I have nothing to get me to the destination I want to go. And now you come to Christianity. What is Christianity? It is not a bunch of rules. And it's not, hey, just whitewash this over and you're all good. No, it is a reckoning of seeing where you are at as a sinner and as a broken human being who hurts and other people and makes excuses and lies to ourselves and we can't stop it. And suddenly God comes and says, I know you can't fix it. I'll fix it for you. It is about God coming down to us, not us reaching up to God. It's about God becoming a human being, walking amongst people like this, but not having any of this inside of himself, and then taking all the mess of our sin and our guilt on himself so that we would be forgiven of this mess, that everything we need to be good and to be right is put on us so that we can follow and go into eternity with God. Now, the beginning of the Christian journey 
is seeing where you're at, seeing our sinfulness. And if you're a Christian right now, you know this is true. You saw that sin. You gave your life to Christ because there was nothing else you could do about it. No amount of cleaning up, no amount of all that stuff. You just had to receive a gift of grace. And God offers that to everyone who's watching this. To all of you and to all your friends, Christians, who, who you can share this with. Guys, all of us need to hear that where we are is a place that is broken and we have the broken down car. We can't drive ourselves to where we need to get to. The bike's messed up. We're not getting there. The GPS is sending us in the wrong directions because it doesn't know where we are. And when we see where we're at, we can call out to God who can give us the way because he'll take us in his own car and drive us home. And you need to be able to receive that. God's offering you a chance to get into the cross, to get into his car, get into his life and go on his journey. If you want to get to where you really want to go. I ask that you Enjoy that. Get into it now. Receive Christ right now, right where you're at. And if you do, you can let us know. You can just simply uh, text this number at the bottom of the screen, and you can tell us, hey, I made that decision today, and I want to begin this journey. And so that would be awesome. Thank you for, for even stepping forward, and welcome to the family if you've done that right now. But I want to now shift and talk back to you Christians who have made that decision. See, here's the problem. A long time ago, you may have made that decision. But somewhere along the line, we literally got stuck. We thought that we came to eternal life and we sat down on the bench or we, we kind of checked out. A couple sins hit us or something happened. We just got busy with life. The thorns and thistles, as Jesus said, started choking it out. And I want to wake us back up to where we're at because I love how C.S. Lewis puts it. We are too easily pleased. He, in his book, The Weight of Glory, it was a sermon that he wrote and you can get it today still. He said this, human beings, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. The infinite joy of God is what he's talking about, of Christ, of love of God. He says, and like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. Christians, We are far too easily pleased with the Netflix, the Amazons, the amazing races when we have the opportunity to go on the greatest race. We're too bent on watching our teams fight instead of being in the fight for the faith. We are not engaged in the right way. We're too easily pleased and we've lost track of where we are. I want to call us back to where we are because when you know where you are, then you'll know what the steps are to go where you need to go. And so I want to call us back to looking at where we are. And I believe God's word can help us do that. In this next series, as we get into knowing you, we're going to engage in that very idea of examining who are we and where are we at so that we know how we can grow. We know where to go. But I need to encourage you in something today, and I'm going to give you a challenge to not do this by yourself. My entire message is being summed up in one thought, and that is you need to get into a small group. I'm putting it right here, right now. If you don't have a small group, you need one. Either on Zoom, if you're still at home and you're keeping safe, praise God. If you're out and about, you need a group because there is a problem when it comes to examining yourself. There is a problem when it comes to looking at yourself. Look, you're never more blind to yourself than when you're alone. I'm never more blind to myself than when I'm by myself. I don't have any feedback. I have no knowledge, only my own deceitful heart. And I'm going to get lost. And I want to challenge you, just like the rich young ruler, he was confused by himself in a sense. He said, oh, I've kept all these things from my youth. I'm a good person. You know, I'm a good Christian. Well, how do you know 
If you don't have a group that's helping you grow, if you don't have somebody who's engaged with you on purpose to help reveal and show you what's going on, it's no wonder that God said at the beginning of the book when he created Adam all alone, put him in the garden, he goes, time out. The Lord God said it's not good. No bueno that the man should be alone. So I'm going to make a helper fit for him. I'm going to make the woman, and the woman's going to break a family, and the family's going to make a society, and the society's going to shape and change the world because here's what I want to see. I want to see people with people. It's not good for man to be alone. It wasn't good for Adam. It's not good for me. It's not good for you. In fact, we need to understand that that loneliness is critical to deal with. He said it's not good to be alone. We need an outside perspective. We need an outside input into our lives. It's no wonder when Jeremiah finished talking about the deceit of the heart, he asked that big question, right? He asked, who can understand it? And then he answers with this, I, the Lord, search the heart. It tests the mind. And to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. God knows He's outside us. He knows what our hearts are like. He knows what your heart is like. He knows what my heart is like. And he tests it, and he's ready to give me according to my ways. He's ready to, to judge those things. But what's beautiful is he didn't just judge. He gave a way out in Jesus. He's ready to shape and change us. He knows the way. And so there is an outside perspective when you have a relationship with God. And those of you who just gave your life to Christ, God is with you now. He's going to convict you of sin. He's going to show you your heart. And hang on. You need a community. You need to get part of the church because we got to do this together. We are blind to ourselves when we're alone. And so he says, no, we need to have an outside perspective. We need to have this time together. We need communities as well in an outside perspective, not just God as our outside perspective. In fact, it's fascinating. Jesus is walking around, and he knows he's God. He knows he's the Messiah. And as he's teaching and preaching, he's doing miracles, And he's gathered a community of 12 disciples and others around him. And he does all these miracles in public around people, things that only God can do. And he does it for a reason. In fact, in the book of John, he puts it this way in chapter 5. He says, if I alone bear witness, if I'm the only one talking about who I am, my testimony is not true. This is true for all humans, I believe, that if you're just going to walk around and tell everybody, well, this is who I am because I looked inside myself, so what? I don't have to believe you. If what I see contradicts what you say, your testimony is not valid. Even Jesus' testimony wasn't valid by himself, so he did works to prove it. He had disciples around him who said, yeah, this guy's sinless. God speaks from heaven. The Spirit of God falls on him. He has testimony after testimony after testimony to affirm what he says. From From inside, he speaks, but from the outside, it's confirmed. We need community. If Jesus needed community, we need community. If Jesus confirmed his identity by the people around him. We confirm that identity in Christ by the people around us. They're going to be the ones who are helping us and moving us forward. It's no wonder if you've ever been in a family that's healthy or you've ever been with a group of friends and you've ever lamented like something like, oh, I'm just not a creative person. Oftentimes, somebody who knows you will go, what? You're not, yes, you are. You're totally creative. Look what you do with your house. Look what you do. You got cool clothes. And you're like, I never, I never saw myself as creative before. Or maybe you're like, I'm just stupid. And they're like, I don't think you're stupid. You give me some of the best wisdom in the world. Or 
you're like, I just can't sing. And somebody goes, you're right. Don't ever go on those shows. You're just going to make fun of you, right? They're, they're honest with you. And that's critical because if we have a community, that community needs to be committed to honesty. If you're going to join a small group like I'm encouraging you to, then that small group has to be honest. And it's good. In the Proverbs, it tells us better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Somebody cares about you, but they're afraid to tell you what's really going on to correct you. It's better they just openly rebuke you in front of everybody than to hide their love from you and to hide their care for you. It's translated this way. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Oh, the world wants to flatter you. The devil's your best friend. The enemy wants to make you feel great about who you are inside and all that sin and garbage. It's, it's your friends. It's those who love you that are ready to tell you, nah, man, that's garbage. That's just gross. I mean, we're all broken together. I just got to be honest with you. You can't sing. And that may seem harsh, especially in our sensitive culture, but actually it's loving. Rather be told the truth than be had smoke blown at me. You know what I'm saying? All right. And what we need to be is a people who are committed to being honest with each other, but being honest about ourselves. James actually puts it this way when it comes to our honesty towards others. He tells us that we actually should confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You don't confess your sins to one another and then gossip about each other. No, it's confess your sins to each other. Then you pray for each other that we wouldn't fall into these sins. See, we're above reproach when we open our hearts and say, this is my mess. Don't be surprised when it shows up. I try to do this with my staff. I try to do this with my, uh, my leadership, my family. My darkest sins need to be laid on the table so that when they show up, people aren't like, oh, I didn't know that was in there. No, um, I hope they're praying for me. I hope you're praying for me. I'm praying for you if I know what your sins are because we love each other. We want to be honest with each other. We want to grow beyond this dishonest culture that can just applaud you for the worst things. Don't get caught into applause. Don't get caught into being people-pleased. Don't get caught into the lies of others. Be honest, but be gentle. Be honest with your, what's inside, but be humble. Don't just accept your sin and don't just wash over everybody else's honest communities. will help you see exactly where you are so you can receive the grace of Christ and continue forward beyond the mud puddle of our easy pleasures. So I'm challenging you. You need a small group. You need a community. But there's one other problem. Community will not find you. you got to go find community. Now, this isn't always true. Sometimes it'll show up, right? Sometimes somebody will go like, hey, be in my community. And I hope somebody invites you. But it'd be better if you go seek it. It's better if you get up and you go pursue the small group community that you need. And we need it now more than ever. And here's why. Did you realize, do you know who Baroness Diana Barron is Baroness Diana Barron. Come on. You got this, right? No, no. Okay. Well, she was the, she is the minister of loneliness in the UK put in in 2018 as the first minister of loneliness in the world for the, for the UK government. She oversees the epidemic of loneliness in the UK and there's an epidemic of loneliness in the world. The reason why we're getting more and more lonely is we're not seeking community. We're not seeking it out anymore. And the reason we don't seek it out is because let's be honest, Families have broken down. 
Kids are bouncing between family members. People don't trust their neighbors because of the polarization of politics and different things like that. We wind up running from churches because we just don't believe in that stuff anymore. And we try to form other groups, but they don't seem to work because we're suspicious. And we, we lack social skills because everything's on the internet of photographs and beauty and lying, <laughs> right? And we're lonely, more lonely than ever in this hypermobile globalized society. But what's even worse is when you look inside and you see the sin inside, that isolates. See, when Adam and Eve sinned, this is what they found. They, they knew the, eye, the eyes of both of them were opened. They knew that they were naked. That scared them, so they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. In a very real way, they physically hid themselves from each other. And then when God stepped in because of their sin, they hid in the bushes. What happens when we sin is we isolate. No one could possibly love me for what's really inside, because I'm lying to myself, and therefore what I find is something horrible. It's no wonder there are lots of groups that are out there ready to identify with you in your sin, to tell you, hey, you feel this way sexually, I feel that way sexually, let's be proud of it. Hey, you feel this way about wanting tons of stuff, I feel that way, let's be proud of it. You're a glutton, I'm a glutton, let's be proud of it. You're a slut, I'm a slut, let's be proud of it. And there is literally a pride movement for every known sin. And pride is a great sin. It's what's found in the heart. And if you're not careful, you will find people who are ready to gather around you. They'll come find you because you looked inside and you found something horrible. And nobody's going to really love you with all that mess, except for God already did. He already knew it. He already loved you. He already knew who you were before you knew it. And that's why when we get into this conversation, you need to be ready that God's going to expose yourself and you need a community that you're not running from because of sin. You need to seek out a community that you're going to be honest with and that will be scary because you're going to step into a difficult scenario. You're going to have to reach out and find someone and find people who you can be honest with who aren't going to reject you. And right there you may be like, I'm out on the small group thing. I can't do that. There's no way. No, no, no. Time out. You can if we will all take this seriously, if we will all be honest with each other and gentle and loving and caring for each other because we want to be like Christ, there will be a change. Because we all seek the same destination, we won't crush each other. We shouldn't gossip out about each other. We're going to dive in and press in to help see where we are. And when community does this, it's powerful. Because, look, community is powerful, and so we need to find the right community. Right? Community is powerful, so we need to find the right community. What do I mean by that? Hey, if you want to be like Christ, find a community that wants to be like Christ. If you want to be someone who is great at swimming, go join a swim team. Be a part of a swim club. They'll encourage you. If you want to be good at poker, go join a poker club. Right? We get it. The scripture puts it this way. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And what we see is that you and I, we have an opportunity now to seek out community that's good for us, to seek out a community that wants the same thing that we do. And in this spiritual growth season, in this series that we're going to dive in together called Knowing You, we're saying get in a group, allow that small group to have the same goal, not just wisdom, but to truly be the kind of people that we want to be. And then go with those people who want to grow and know where they're at so they can be like Christ. And then devote yourself to it. The early church constantly did this. It says they devoted, and that's a constant devotion. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that's the word of God, to the fellowship that's 
large groups of church and small groups in the homes, the breaking of bread, that's communion and meals together, and the prayers. And guys, if we'll commit ourselves to these things, whether it's watching it online and joining in some groups on Zoom or actually in reality with people, you're going to find a group of people ready to be honest with you, ready to pursue the same goal with you, ready to call you away from loneliness and isolation into seeing where you're at to receive the grace of Christ and get out of our mud puddles and start pursuing what God has for us to fight that fight that we talked about. And I want to encourage you today that you can join a small group or start a small group right now. This is the challenge. Join a small group or start a small group. And then when we get into this Knowing You series, you're going to discover that, wow, this group is really helping me go. Now, how do you do that? Well, you you need to first and foremost go to obcc.group obcc.group. If you go to that website, it'll help you start or sign up for a group that's available. And you're like, I can't start a group. Yes, you can. Gather a couple of friends, a couple of people that you can communicate with, that you already feel safe with, that are Christians who want to grow. They may even go to a different church, but you can say, hey, would you join me for this season? I need you guys. I want to do this. Would you do this with me and start pursuing it? You may even know some non-Christians. I would hold off inviting them to the group, but invite them to the study. Have conversations with them later because I believe this is powerful for change, powerful for knowing where we really are and really reading a lot of these bad ideas our culture is giving to us. And so find a group, obcc.group, and you can jump into a group or start a group. When you do and they get their information, here's what will happen. Number one, they're going to give you a packet. And that packet's going to have like story cards that help you kind of do some openers and get to know each other a little better or get to know each other deeper. You're going to have an an awesome opportunity to uh, kind of read a little information that'll tell you, hey, we're going to contact you. We'll help you out. You get a leader's guide. You're not alone. Gives you everything you need. And everybody else gets the student guide. So together, you're able to dive in. It is simple as, can you read this leader's guide to people that you love and dive in together? In fact, when you do that, you're going to find that this series that we're starting here coming up, Knowing You, is going to be powerful to helping you discover where you're at. Because the bottom line, as we've been saying in this entire series, is that, look, you're not going to know. If you don't know where you are, you're not going to know where you're going. And we want you to know where you're going. So let's find out where we are. We're going to start that off next week as we begin to discover that the first step in finding out who we are isn't looking inside but looking far, far outside of ourselves. And you're going to need a group to do that, and I want to encourage you right now. We're ending this now. Go to that obcc.church and join us. We'd love to see you in groups and next week.